Hey, this is Colby, and welcome to the Learn by Doing podcast with Oak School of Leadership. We are so excited today to have a conversation with Hunter Wilson. He is on staff here at the Oaks Church and is on the executive team. He's also Pastor Scott Wilson's son, and I'm just looking forward to this conversation. I know it's going to be incredible, and we're going to be talking about the difficulties he's had being the son of a very influential and powerful man of God and the platform that he has and and some of the things that he's had to work through. So, Hunter, thanks for joining us on the podcast today, man. We're so excited that you're here and and able to have this conversation with us. Yeah, man, this is awesome. This is going to be fun. Yeah, super fun, man. You and I, we've known each other literally right our whole lives no that's what's cool about this is because we're sitting here with like this whole official thing but (laughs) we've been friends our whole life yeah dude it's it's so fun you know i had mentioned that you are on staff here at oak church but you're on the executive team Mm -hmm. at the church um you have a very very unique role man i didn't really want to get into it in the intro but um could you kind of just describe to us your role because i think it's very, very beneficial to our listeners to kind of hear right. about your role. It's very, very unique. Most people don't really know what it is. And yeah, no, I just feel like really blessed. This is something that I feel like fits like my natural wiring so much. So I'm just, I love my job here at the Oaks. It's called the strategy specialist. So basically what happens is here at the Oaks, we're at a point where we want our church and every department to be on a growth plan to double yeah. in the next five years or less. So yeah. let's say for example, you had a hundred people in your church and we want to create a growth plan to get to 200 in five years or less. So let's figure out the strategies of what's working, what's not working for us to get there. And a lot of times I think it relates to like a natural process that everybody already does when it comes to like new year's resolutions. Right. Yeah. So like for you, you at the end of, I know you cause we've been friends Yes. at the end of 2018, you made new year's resolutions and you said, I would be a way better Colby by the end of 2019, if I did these 10 things or whatever, right? Yes. So when it comes to our departments, when it comes to our church, we want to do the same thing. So at the beginning of the year at 2019, we make a list of things that we want to fix so that we can be on path to doubling in five years or less. So we not only do that as a church, but every department. And what happens is really similar to New Year's resolutions is that my whole role is to not only help them in the creation of their goals, but also the accountability. Because the number one thing that happens with New Year's resolutions is they're very positive and you feel very good about them, but the follow through on them is not really done well because these are all new 10 things, right? That lay on top of your full schedule that you already have. And so you have to figure out a way to do that. And so what I do is I make sure that not only are we creating goals, but we're actually following through throughout the whole year and meeting with every department. It's yeah. just, it's just an no, awesome No, man, thing. you're the, how many people would love to have a new year's resolution coach? Like, <laughs> right. literally, that's like, what we should call the job. Yeah, I know. That's, that's literally what you do. And you add so much value. I know you've added tons of value to our department and to the two things that I'm doing, man. It's just, it's great to have accountability. Really, I think that's probably the one of the greatest right. assets that you bring to the table is not just helping us figuring out the goals, but also going like, hey, are you guys staying focused on those goals? Right, right. You know, and that's huge. And I think it's just saved our church and our organization just tons of money and time uh-huh. and, yeah. and effort, man. And dude, I know you're doing an incredible job at that. Thanks, so, man. Thank dude, I'm you. glad that we have you and you're you're here. So, hey, we're talking about some of the difficulties that you've had to go through, walk through, right. how you've managed just being you, you right, know, which is right. hard. Your your father, Pastor Scott, been our pastor here at the Oaks Church for 
25 years mm-hmm. yeah five plus years yeah plus somewhere plus up, up there somewhere yeah. up there man and just has a huge platform in our community right um and uh all over the nation you know people just know him because he's man he's an incredible communicator incredible man of god yeah. great leader just yeah plus things. we've been here so like he's been at the same church since he was 17 since, so he's 49 now yeah. wow so whatever the math is there so 30 so something right so at the same yeah like Spear of influence, ten, yeah, yeah, ten yeah, mile radius. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We we were doing some research, man, and I, and I thought this statistic was crazy. And I wanted to ask you about it and, and get your thoughts on it. But thirty three percent of pastors say that their kids are no longer involved in the church. That's a huge statistic, man. Yeah, like a pastor's son or daughter would uh-huh. say, "Hey, I don't want to be involved in the church, like because of bad experiences, bad things that, right. you know, church members have said to them, church splits. I mean, right. there's so many different things there. So my question to you, man, is what made you want to do ministry and continue to do that? Uh-huh. And and more than that, what made you want to do it here at the church working with your dad? Right. You know? So right. yeah, can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think the thing that that statistic is really interesting. You know, I think I think church kids can relate to this, not just pastors kids, but pastors kids especially. Going to church growing up is as normal of a routine as kids that were forced to do piano lessons. Yeah. When they were a kid. And yeah. no one thinks it's weird for the kid that had piano lessons when they're 6 that they don't do piano anymore, but it's yeah. like the church thing is weird. You know, I don't know if that's a direct like metaphor you can yeah. make, but but Really, what I'm trying to say no, that's is a that great, the, that's a great that's a great analogy. What you're saying is, man, if you grew up, your parents made you do piano or soccer. Right. Like everybody played soccer. Right. 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 So why is it weird that a pastor's yeah. kid is no longer in ministry? But no, that's great. But the pastor's kid thing is that it's just so normal. Like it's like you you make your bed in the mornings, you do piano lessons, and you go to church two or three times a week. Yeah. Right. And so. I think the whole like people leaving thing is that, okay, so anyone that kept playing piano after their mom made them when they were six, right? They had to have had an experience that they're saying, my mom's not making me take piano anymore. I'm taking piano lessons. Yeah. And if you don't have that kind of like moment, I think you're just going to leave. Like I was forced to go to church growing up. Like I didn't have a choice. Yeah. Like if it was up to me, I would would have stayed home and played video games and stuff. That was like what I would want to do. But yeah, that wasn't an option to yeah. do. Right. Yeah. So just like making your bed, just like those kind of things, you have to make a choice one day that it's like right now I made my bed. Yeah. When I got home, <laughs> I wanted to do, I want my room yeah. clean. Yeah. And it's the same thing with church. If you don't make that transition, you're not going to. So it. just to kind of sum it up, what you're saying is like, you have to have a God experience. You really do. On your yeah. own. You yeah. have to make the decision that right. Jesus is the person that I'm going to follow, regardless of what my right. parents do. Right. You know. So, was there a time in your life when you had that moment? That yeah. That's okay. So for me, I didn't grow up wanting to do ministry stuff. Yeah. Uh, it was the my mom took me to piano practice, Here's, like the equivalent, yeah, right? Yeah. So for me, it was actually my senior year of high school. So in high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Towards the end of it, I thought I wanted to work for Pixar or I wanted to work for Jimmy Fallon and be a writer and tell stories. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. Then I had an experience my senior year of high school where a guy came up to me. It's a long story, but basically the essence was this guy came up to me and I was basically doing my pastor's kid thing that I was taught to do from a young age of just being nice to whoever at the church. Like church was kind of like my parents hosted a party every Sunday at the church, right? So 
I always thought of church as not something I go to, but like I was forced into being the host of a party. Yeah. Right. Wow. So when I was hosting the party, I was always nice to whoever was there. Gotcha. Right. Even if it was like, yeah, it hey, was just, hey, up? Hey, you know, hey, yeah, I don't right. know who Anyways, you are. So there's this guy, he had a bad experience with church, had like a, basically like a church wound type experience at our church, just yeah. from events that happened, whatever. Anyways, it was his last week at the church, came up to me my senior year of high school and said, Hey, I'm not going to go to this church anymore. I don't think I can go to church like period. But if I ever did come back and if I ever did like go to do the church thing again, it would be because of somebody like you. And just wanted to let you know that I love you, man. Thanks for always being kind to me. I remember it just like freaked me out. Like yeah. I was driving home. I was sitting in my car. I'm like, what just, what just happened? Yeah, that's weird. right. This is yeah. weird. So there was a moment that there was this like revelation that happened because like two weeks later, I got a head injury where I had a brain bleed and I went to a hospital. I was in ICU for a while and I was like in the hospital in a hospital bed for like two weeks, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In the time I was just doing a lot of thinking. I thought about that moment a lot and I basically had the revelation of this. I was like, okay, this guy basically had an impact on his life and I wasn't even trying. Yeah. Like I didn't even, I wasn't even on my radar. Yeah. What would happen if I dedicated my whole life to helping people? How much good could I do in the world if I yeah. actually tried to help people? At that time, it wasn't like introduce people to Jesus. And it was just more of this like thought of like, I wasn't there yet. I, it was yeah. more of like, what? It, how much good could I do in the world if I gave all of my heart, all of my effort to helping people grow? Wow. And and that was pretty much the transition. I started to come to OSL. OSL and the chapels and everything here and all of the experiences from my time in OSL like dramatically just like helped me have my moment of my parents didn't make me come to church. This is my thing. This yeah. is my relationship with God. This is why I want to do ministry stuff. Yeah. And uh, that was just huge for me. OSL has been like such a major impact on me and yeah. shaping my thinking. Yeah, uh, absolutely. This. It was, awesome. was kind of like a way for you to make that decision and not have to do it on Sunday morning you know, right. all the time. Right. But there was a community where you were going, hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And this right. is my decision, not mom and dad's decision. Right. Totally. And so, okay. So I went through OSL, got my master's degree through the OSL yeah. program. Yeah. Then I got asked to be on staff with our creative team and yeah. from the creative team went on and then moved on to the executive team. But at first I was working for the creative department, which meant I was working for our creative pastor, Kelvin Coe. Yeah. And in the way that our church is structured, I really wasn't having much interaction with my dad. Yeah. So for my situation, my dad didn't hire me. Kelvin did. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I didn't really have any weirdness there. Like I liked my dad. Yeah. I didn't like yeah. we're, we're friends. Yeah. Like, it wasn't weird. It wasn't weird. He was your boss's boss. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if I fully understood what I was getting into with the pressure yeah. type thing. And, and I would soon find out like, what are the dynamics for working for your dad when he's your dad, he's your boss, and then he's your pastor as well. Yeah. Growing up, I always had, he's my dad and he's my pastor. Yeah. I just added a third hat that I wasn't used to. And there were things that just happened that were, um, I had to get used to. Could you give some examples, like some things you had to get used to? Right. Like some of our listeners, they may be working for their parents. And right. They may be having experienced similar things and how you kind of got through those. Yeah. So, so the biggest thing that I had to figure out really early on was how to not breach boundaries. Yeah. Wow. Right. And so what I realized is, so I, my dad has modeled for me to go to counseling. He's gone to counseling his whole life, not as something that like, oh my gosh, how does he have so many problems? But yeah. looks at it in a way of, 
this is my number one way to help me get a different perspective yeah. on how I need to grow. And it's more of a proactive thing. So, you know, a lot of people go to counseling right before they want to defuse a bomb. It's like five, four, three, yeah. two, one, yeah. right? He looks at it in a proactive way going, I would rather go and work on all the stuff so right. that when a bomb does come, because it will come. Right, I have the tools. That, yeah, I have the tools right. and everything that I need. Okay, right. so anyways, so he modeled that for me. So I did that as well. That was huge in my life. I'm sure we could probably talk about it. It'll yes. probably come up again. But what my counselor helped me with when this first, the breaching of boundaries happened, and I'll give an example of that was, hey, you know that because you work for your dad and you made that decision, you have to know that you and your dad have three different hats. Yeah. And this was like such a huge tool for us. He has a boss hat, he has a dad hat, and he has a pastor hat. Yeah. All three have a different tone wow. of voice. All three have different... Like when it comes to jokes, there's, I can poke fun <laughs> yeah. at my dad. I can't, can't poke, poke fun, fun at, at my, my boss. boss. Yeah. Wow, dude. I can a little bit with uh, poke fun at like the pastor, but like yeah. in the right context. And yeah. like, I didn't understand this at first. I can't treat my boss like my dad, even though wow. it's the same person. Wow. Right. And so even when I go over to his house for dinner and stuff, cause we live close to each other is we decided when I come over to swim at your house, you're not gonna talk to me. Like boss. Like a boss. Wow. Like that's that's not fair. Like if, if my boss tells me to do something, I'm gonna say, yes, sir. All right, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna get on that and uh, I'll get back to you, I'll report back to you next week and that'll be awesome, Yeah. right? But when it's my dad and I'm like, we're like in a floaties and like, the, <laughs> you know, we're in a pool and I have like, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, drinking some Coke. Right, that's yeah. like, that's just a weird dynamic, yeah. right? So we agreed that when we're at the house, we're not gonna talk to each other like an employee or a boss. Yes. That was actually me who breached that boundary first. Wow. Because what I did was for the short stint before I got married to Emily, which she was on the podcast uh, yeah. earlier. And so yeah. I was living with my parents. So that was when I first came on staff, Yeah. right? So I was living with my dad. What happened was I, the way that I'm wired is being able to spot a lot of gaps yeah. in holes and things. And then what I want to do is point out those holes and try to plug them and fill them up and like make sure everything's, you know, good, like yeah. fixing problems and stuff. The The problem was I went home to my dad and tried to think that, hey, I'm going to tell you these 75 problems. Like if we don't fix these, it's going to be, if we don't fix die. these, yeah, we're going to die. Now this is, we can come back to this because this was like a huge tool that me and my dad realized of why we like working so close to one another now. Like our office is literally like touch kind of thing is we both always from the time I started working at the Oaks, we always shared the same finish line. We always wanted to help people grow. We always want to help people introduce them to Jesus. We always wanted to help pastors learn how to pastor their churches better. Like we both share those like same passions. We want yeah. the same finish line to happen. The way we get to that finish line, the vehicle that we use to get there, we are very wired differently. Yeah. And so I was using the wrong vehicle to try to get to the same destination that I know we both wanted. Wow. So I thought I was helping him because I know we were both passionate about something, yeah. but I was using the wrong vehicle that he didn't like. Yeah. So we had to form boundaries and, you know, I was basically just getting on his nerves of like, 
He's like, I don't want to hear about the seventy-five <laughs> problems. You know. Yeah, I have whatever. a. Mil- I know the million problems. Like I don't want right. to talk about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the vehicle basically is what you were saying is the boundaries of whenever I go home, that's not the right vehicle for me to talk to him about all these problems. It right. needs to be at work. It needs to be right. in a, in another method. It needs to be in another form. Right. That he desires. Yeah. That he wants. Yeah. And then we can. Because he wants those things. He yeah. just doesn't want them when you're sitting in floaties. Right, 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 exactly. Got it. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. Can you talk a little bit about like like what made you really, really want to do ministry? I mean, you had talked about like how this one guy, it was, you know, influential, right. different things like that, you know, but did you have um, a certain moment at a camp, you know, like what made you, hey, go like, okay, ministry. Uh-huh. So I think... I think this is unfair for pastor's kid because again, you've gone to church every Wednesday, every Sunday, sometimes Sunday nights, like all that kind of stuff, right? That it gets so confusing on when the actual like big moments (laughs) happen or that's at least in my case, right? So so some people, like some of my friends that were in OSL with me and whatever, yeah. just friends. They had a great radical, radical, crazy moment. Like I was so black and white and then I came in middle school and everything changed. Yeah, everything like, changed. For me, a lot of the stuff that happened with my God moments were yeah. one degree shifts. Yeah. Like like a cruise ship, you can't turn too fat. Like it was like slow movements over wow. time. And so that's I think a- that's what happened with OSL a yeah. lot was yeah. uh, the consistency of like, growing in my relationship with God and my natural wirings from the get go yeah. of, I love helping people have like epiphany moments, like light yeah. bulb moments. Yeah. And I realized one of the biggest things that I can help people do is learn about God yeah. and, and not just like get saved, but also become what the benefits are of becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ and how that has dramatically like impacted me. I think I fell in love with kind of the same thing people do with movies. They go to the movie theater, they go see Avengers or whatever. And they say, oh my gosh, Colby, you got to go see this movie. Yeah. I think I fell in love with God just did this thing in my life. Yeah. And it's dramatically helped me grow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think through so many church services I've been to, these little micro shifts over yeah. time, I think you can't underestimate the power of like little micro shifts you know what i want to speak to with that is anybody that has grown up in church and you know um they feel like they don't have like a testimony or like a moment that you have that is a great picture of it's just small yeah subtle shifts that end up having this huge shift over time that has a dramatic impact yeah you know yeah i i think it gets confusing actually Sunday mornings or when you're in youth, right? That yeah. usually hits you on more. Wednesday, right, Wednesday right. nights. So like yeah. Wednesday nights or whatever, right? Those are moments of inspiration yeah. that happen. Usually not the life change. Yeah. It's the inspiration that I want my life to change, right? Yeah. So you have an altar call moment and you're like, I've been living, <laughs> going south, yeah. Right. And I want to go north. Like yeah. then the follow up of what you've done afterwards is what really brought that life change. The the habits that you built, the things that you did following that inspirational catalytic moment yeah. is what brought the life change. And so for me, it was a lot of inspirational motivation that, oh my gosh, this thing really is real. Yeah. And this relationship with God thing is real. And I need to adjust my life and my patterns and my personal growth and everything to deep in this relationship with God because this is where the real life change happens. Yeah, absolutely, man. Dude, that's awesome. That's such a great analogy and perspective. 
that you gave us there about, you know, it's not just one moment, it's incremental shifts over time, which is so true. So here's, here's another question, man. I feel like a lot of pastors, kids, but also, you know, kids with parents that have influence, uh-huh. they deal with this pressure. It's, it's 28% of pastors feel their kids deal with unrealistic expectations. That's not like a huge, huge statistic, but yeah. I know from a lot of pastors, kids that I've talked to yeah, that's and thing. a lot yeah. of young men that I've talked to that their parents are very influential in the community. They yeah. have this pressure. Did you ever feel like you encountered, you know, some unrealistic expectations from your dad or parents or even, you know, church members? And, you know, how did you yeah. deal with that? So I think my parents are like amazing. My mom didn't come from a raised in church background. So like her having a different experience than my dad of like family dynamics, like definitely not a pastor's kid and all that kind of stuff. Like her family had more of the radical yeah. shifts than my dad who all grew up in church. Yeah. The way that they even see church and view church, totally different, yeah. right? So my mom and dad have really helped form a good balance for me of saying, hey, I want you to do whatever God wants you to do in your yeah. life. Even when I didn't know like <laughs> how to hear from God and anything yeah. like that, right? Yeah. And so... um They've been incredible at that. But when it comes to like unrealistic expectations, I think that was from trying to be a a people pleaser and feeling like I have to host everyone that's coming to our party, you know, and there's so many people to please, you know. So I think a lot of the dynamics of the pastor's kid is actually the same dynamics of anyone whose parents are involved with a family business. Yeah. Because anyone that is in a thing that seems like a natural family business, everyone's curiosity goes to, are you going to take the car shop? Are yeah. you going to take the, the yes. family? Are you going to be, are you, I mean, are you going to be the next pastor of the church? Right, you right, know? right. It's like, it's like that question always comes and right. is your behavior matching up with that when you're 12 years old? Right. So that's where the behavior thing comes in is because I do have some natural wirings. And so do my, I have two brothers that are awesome. I'm really close to them. My older brother's Dylan. He's a year older than me. He was a young adult pastor here. And my little brother, who's awesome, his name's Dakota. He just got out of college and he's doing music stuff. And that's yeah. awesome. Neither of them work in the church anymore. Yeah. Not in a bad way, just yeah. just different. I'm not better or worse because I work at a church. Yeah. It's a different vehicle that I use to get to the same finish line. Me, Dakota and Dylan all share the same finish line. Of, yeah. I want to make a difference in my life. And the way that we go about that is completely different. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. okay. So it comes back to me, Dylan and Dakota all have certain skill sets that match what people could foresee of, oh, that makes sense. You could be a pastor. Yeah. Like my little yeah. brother's incredible singer, incredible yeah. musician and stuff. And <laughs> I remember me and Dakota would talk about this all the time of saying, just because I can sing doesn't mean I'm going to be a worship pastor. Yeah. Just yeah. because I can speak doesn't mean I'm going to be a pastor. Yeah. And I think at least for me and my brothers, we felt the thing of don't try to box me in. Yeah. That was a big thing was Don't label me. Like don't try to plan my life for me. Yeah. And I don't think it was like really ever as serious as it probably needed to be. Meaning mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, I think a lot of people really just care about themselves and yeah. like their motivations. Like yeah. when I ask you like, "Hey, are you going to take your dad's car shop or whatever?" I think it's more just out of curiosity than yeah. it was like, I need you to take this. Yes. Harsh. 
And yeah. I think it's real. Like over time, I realized I think it's really just out of curiosity yeah. more than it is a expectation they're putting on you. Yeah. But that's what I interpreted it yeah. as. Well, and too, you know, when you're you're getting that question a lot all the time, you can naturally just put that pressure on yourself. Right. When instead of just going, hey, people are just curious about my life. Right. You know, because you know. And yeah, and I think yeah, I think that's what it is, and I think a lot of times the unrealistic expectation comes with, I'm not allowed to make mistakes. So the big revelation I had through counseling that like I was trying to process this, there was a couple things like metaphors that helped me like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I'm feeling is anything that put me in front of other people that they were able to form an opinion about me terrified me. So I know it's kind of a weird sentence. doesn't really make sense, but basically it means like if I was doing announcements yeah. <laughs> like hosting or whatever on a Wednesday yeah. night. Yeah. More than anything, I wanted you to think of me as he's really talented. I like him yeah. or he's funny or whatever yeah. the metric was I was thinking of at that time. Right. Yeah. And I always thought of it as a scale of one to 10. Yeah. So Colby right now, I made him laugh earlier. He thinks I'm 10 out of 10 funny. Right. And if I go on stage and I do a joke that bombs, he's going to go from a 10 to a six. Or maybe not a six, but at least a nine. Like <laughs> yeah. in this game, it was always wow. like any mistake I made, I was losing points. Wow. It was value. like a life scoreboard. Exactly. And it was always, always game time. Like wow. no matter what people at school, anybody that I valued their opinion, they got to play this game where I had a number over my head and it could go up or it could go down based on how well I did. And wow. I think that was like this weird people pleasing game that I played. Yeah, performance game. Wow. Right. So so once I learned that and I realized that, because at the beginning it was like, I want people to like me, yeah. right? Because people tell me how valued I am as a person. That was yeah. the thought, right? Yeah. And then that was a lot of like the OSL experience that helped me in counseling and stuff was no one can determine my self-worth but yeah. God and God loves me 10 out of 10. And it do if I make a mistake, it doesn't go to nine. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're valuable just because you're you. Right. Like there's never another Hunter Wilson right. ever yeah. in the history of the universe. And I think of like a dad that a dad that has a toddler, like what value does the kid help the dad as a toddler? Yeah. Right. He's going to poop his pants. He's going to cry. He's going to wake him up in the middle of the night. Every time he does that, that doesn't mean that, oh, he cried. He pooped in his pants again. All right. It's down to a three out of 10. Like <laughs> yeah. that was like this huge thing of like parents still value their kids. God, a perfect father still loves me when I make a mistake. He doesn't want me to go down a path that he didn't design for me, but he doesn't value me less because of it. Yeah. And so there was this whole process of with unrealistic expectations. I had to beat that by learning that God loves me 10 out of 10. And then the other one was I used to say I was a perfectionist for like, till I was like 19, I'm 25 like yeah. next week. And what I learned was I had to stop calling myself a perfectionist. Like that's not a good thing. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's really like, I feel bad for you if you told me that. Like, I'm yeah. like, I'm so sorry. If somebody yeah. said, hey, I'm, I'm Colby, I'm a perfectionist. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Right. <laughs> I, I get how hard that is. One of the things from counseling was, it was illustration It went so long just to prove a point. It was basically like this. It was, so he has a trash can on the other side of the room and he, he gets out a piece of paper, very like dramatic. Like I have a piece of paper. I'm going to do it just because it's so dramatic. He ripped it out real slow, like 
right? And he crumpled it up real slow. I'm like, what are you doing? So he, he, the, the trash tin's on the other corner of the room. He throws it, right? And he like misses so bad. Yeah. He gets up, doesn't say anything. Yeah. He gets up, picks it back up, looks at it, throws it again, misses again. Yeah. Goes over there. And now it's is- like super close, right? <laughs> and he picks it up and then he drops it in the trash can. And he said to me, he goes, did I put this piece of trash in the trash can? I said, yeah. He goes, did I do it perfect the first time I shot it? I said, no. And he goes, but did I accomplish the same goal that I intended for at the beginning? Yeah. I said, yeah. And he goes, that's what you have to transition your thinking into is not that you made a mistake because that's just going to happen, yeah. but progress is better than perfect because yeah. if you're trying to be perfect, you're never going to start. Yeah. You almost restart every time you right. mess up. Right. So you, you're never going to even make it into the trash can. Right. And you said your counselor was the one who showed who, me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's genius, man. So the progress over perfect. Wow. That's is, great. Is, is so big for me. And then knowing that God loves me 10 out of 10, that's not changing. And yeah. then I saw this thing actually from Carl Lentz the other day, he said, when people say they're trying to please them, they are determining yeah. my value. Yeah. It's like, or what do they think? Yeah, what right? do they think? Yeah. Basically, yeah. it was like, you have to choose your they. Like there's yeah. people, I didn't really, I think I did this subconsciously is I stopped trying to please everybody. And the opinions I I cared about of, am I going to do this like side business? Am I going to do this stuff? Yeah. There was like, I would pray about it. I would grew in my relationship with God when I started realizing this. And then there was a small group of people yeah. whose opinions I cared about not trying to please the masses. Wow. No, that's great. Those yeah. are like three things that really shaped me of not feeling like I have these crazy expectations on me and like not being afraid of making mistakes. Yeah. 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 So could you kind of sum up those three things that you just said? Right. So the first one being that in life, you don't have a performance scale. You just made up that game. And so your identity and your self-value, if you do good or you do bad, is not going down a point or up a point, Yeah. right? And God loves you 10 out of 10. Yeah. And there might be people that play the game, like they do that, but that's not how your heavenly father sees you. Yeah, no, that's good. And if they're in your they group that you care about their opinion and that's how they play the game, they probably shouldn't be in your close friend group, (laughs) right? Then there was this example of the trash can throwing away the piece of paper of progress over and valuing that is better than trying to achieve something perfect. Yeah. No, dude. And then you've got to choose your friend group closely that encourages you and that love you no matter what. Yeah. Those things are great. Anybody could know if you just understand that life is not based on performance. Your value is not come from what you do. It comes from what God did and what God says. If you know that you, you have to have people in your life that are a close group and if you care about their opinion they have to also love you you want them to love you without not based on performance right and just knowing that progress is way better than trying to get it right perfect every single time because you're never going to be able to do that man that those that's huge especially for managing you know unrealistic expectations that you get for for whatever that you place on yourself you get from other people different things like that one of the last questions that I have for you, man, is your family, your dad, y'all have been through a lot. I mean, you just know a lot. Whenever you're an influential person, mm-hmm. you know, you just 
you know, especially in a church. I mean, you know about tons of things. People are oh, like to what's you. happening with people in the church. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah, yeah. And yeah just totally. This, yeah. Really, kind of the stress of that, right? You know, and how did you manage that? You know, um, I mean, there are a couple of stories that you've told me, just uh-huh. like that's normal for your family, but it's not normal for other people. Right. You know, how do how do you manage that? How do you work through that? Yeah. So I didn't really realize like some of the conversations that my family had like on a normal basis was abnormal. Until yeah. Emily came into our family. So my yeah. wife, Emily, she, we were dating and we became engaged. She started coming over to like family dinners yeah. at night. And I like told her in the car on the way, I was like, hey, just so you know, my parents come home from work and there's kind of like the way that we like process it is like my dad's a verbal processor. And so kind of the way he deals with like stress, stress is yeah. like just processing it out loud. And so at the dinner table, it's just very like normal that he'll sit down and the way that it, there is no intro, it's just normal. So he goes like, man, guess who like is like so sad this person's getting a divorce, right? And so the thing about my dad that I really appreciated was he never like breached confidentiality, Yeah. but he would still process a thought with my mom because that's when we had like family time yeah. of like, this is what situation is happening. Yeah. And if he felt like, hey, you don't need to know that name. Yeah. He just wouldn't say it. Yeah. Right. And so this was actually something that that I thought was weird. Right. And yeah. like, even like when we go to restaurants and stuff, yeah. like sometimes like we'll go get a booth and my dad will meet us up like 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, because there's just so many people that he knows because we've been in the same area forever. Wow. So it's like even sharing my parents in public was just like, it's just a normal thing. I just yeah. didn't realize that that was like yeah. abnormal or whatever. As I grew up, it was one of the biggest, like I think advantages that I had and I never even realized it was happening. Okay. My dad did something that was incredible intentionally all growing up was he created so many flight simulations for me of situations to teach me how to problem solve. Wow. So for example, he would say like, Hey, so we're like on the way to soccer practice or something, right? And he would just be like, so there's this pastor and you don't know him. He's he's from a different state or whatever. He's dealing with this with his board. Or, hey, there's this pastor. He's dealing with this financially. Or, hey, there's this problem that's happening. And then basically what he would do is he would say, I want to show you like how I handled that situation, right? Wow. And what I did, I, I just... I just thought it was my dad talking to me all growing up. And then I realized as, when I started working here, like I knew how to answer the problems that were coming up because I grew up listening wow. to it all my life, right? Wow. I think of it as kind of like kids whose parents play music or write songs or anything. It's like the like the law of like proximity. Like yeah. you are who you hang around kind of yeah. thing. And yeah. so like a lot of this stuff is just like, that was like, just normal so, for me. So it handling stress, handling these situations, it wasn't that it was it was ever stressful. It was just normal. And you he just right. your dad just was really very intentional and smart about just involving you right in those like here, here's what you do things. when a person's going through yeah like this. Here's what you here's how I pastored this moment. Here's what I did wow. when this pastor called me and he's like about to blow up. Wow. So like again, like he wouldn't ever use names, but that wasn't the important part. No, the important uh, the important part was not to tell a secret. The important part was to learn a lesson. Wow. Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing that I wanted to do with my kids. Yeah. Is at different levels. You know, you you speak on a different level with different amounts of detail yeah. when you're 13 and when you're 25. Yeah. You know, absolutely. and so the like 
one thing that I thought was like weird growing up of like, this is a church thing. And, you know, I felt like unfair, like my dad gets like second degree burns. Yeah. Because if you hear like somebody you care about is, has cancer or somebody Mm -hmm. is going through a divorce, like that hurts, you know? And I felt like, why are you hurting my dad all the time? Yeah. Like he comes home and he's like, less energy or he's like hurt or whatever because he has like so many people going through troubling situations like he's shepherding a church of so many people with so many problems and so yeah i think that was like a thing that i didn't like growing up like i felt like it was people were hurting my dad or mom if you have a mom that was a pastor and worked there too and yeah and then then i learned like hey i can learn from this and i know how to deal with this and i'm like able to make progress yeah. so much quicker. Did you did you ever come to a realization that it like that's just it's not a I don't know if it's a bad thing or if it's like did you just come to the realization like this is just who he is. This is the job that he has. This is what God has asked him to do and right. it's just going to happen. Like yeah. that's just part of it. Was yeah, it, I think I think again like not really a moment. Yeah, like it was I can't just a progress. think about yeah, it's just a thing. It's just the thing I realized over time yeah. was this isn't like people are shooting arrows at my dad. Yeah. It's this is part of the job of your shepherding people and you want to help them. And yeah. part of helping people is helping them get to the summit of Everest. And part of it is they're in the valley and they're hurting and you got to help both. Yeah. You, you know, got to be in the valley and right at the walk. top. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's so. crazy, man. Okay. Any last thoughts or uh, comments that you want to make to anybody that is listening that it has you know a parent that is influential or just in general man just based on our conversations you're like yeah and if there's one thing i want you guys to know it's this one is i think if your mom or your dad is your pastor i would be very intentional if you've had that your whole life i would ask and i would try to get your parents to help you if you don't know someone i would try to get a mentor that's not your parents yeah you need a different perspective. I, I actually interned at two different churches yeah. and I had a counselor. Like sometimes you don't want your dad to be your mentor too, or your mom to be your mentor too, yeah. because even though they have the skills to do it, you, you need them to just be your mom. Yeah. Like somebody else can be your pastor, but you only your mom can be your mom and yeah. only your dad can be your dad. Wow, and that's, that's so important for you to keep that in your priority list is Somebody else can be your mentor. Somebody else can be your pastor, but no one else can be your dad. Wow. And I would look for counseling or look for outside mentorship. Yeah. The other thing is one of the biggest things I had trouble with when I first came on staff was there was even like people that they were joking, but I just didn't take it as a joke of like, hey, Hunter, we're about to do like, we're in the budgeting cycle. Can you go ask your dad if we can get extra blah, blah, blah. Oh no. I, I, they were joking, but like, I didn't think that was funny. Like I I didn't know that fed into my insecurity of growing up of like people only like me because of my dad Yeah. or people are extra nice to me because of my dad. Yeah. And so the big shift that happened for me with that kind of expectations of I'm working at a place where my dad's the CEO pretty much is my dad told me, look, because of the position of where I'm at, sometimes I can get you into rooms that would have been hard for you to get in by yourself, but it's up to you to stay in the room. Like you have to have the respect and the relationship with the people to stay in the room. Like they might've looked at you because you're my son and thought you were a good potential to hire you. But if you stink, (laughs) then they're going to fire you and they have reason to. Yeah. So I would, I would transition your thinking from, I'm not here because of my dad or yeah. I'm not here because of my mom or my dad, right? Yeah. Whether you're working for there or you just attend that church. Yeah. What I would start to transition when it comes to 
your influence and your relationship with other people, I would start to think of it as, okay, on a scale of one to 10, I think this is actually a good one to do one through 10 on is what's my respect level one through 10 and what's my relationship level one through 10 when it comes to Colby, right? So if I'm working with him, if he's my boss or if I'm, he's my peer and we're working by each other or he works for me, whatever is I always assess and my dad taught me this is what's my relationship level one through 10. If I'm trying to ask him to do something or anything, I got to know where my levels are at. Like if Colby thinks I'm a three out of 10 in respect, like he doesn't respect me, it's going to be very hard for me to influence him in any way. So I stopped looking at it of, man, they only like me because of my dad. And I started looking at it of where's my respect in my relationship level with the person that I'm trying to influence or be influenced by. No, that's awesome, man. Well, man, that's all that we have for today. Thanks for joining us, man. You've added a lot of value to a lot of people and we just appreciate you being on. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Learn By Doing podcast. If you enjoyed the content, please tune in next week. We're going to be jumping into a three-part series talking about personal growth. If this is something that you're interested in, man, we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast. Also, you can follow us on all of our social media platforms at the OSL. We hope to see you next week.